So Zephaniah chapter 2, starting in verse 4, reading to chapter, chapter 3, verse 8. Please give your attention as God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word is read in your hearing. For Gaza shall be forsaken, and Ashkelon desolate. They shall drive out Ashdod at noonday, and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Kirathites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you, so there shall be no inhabitant. The seacoast shall be pastures, with shelters for shepherds and folds for flocks. The coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed their flocks there. In the houses of Ashkelon they shall lie down at evening. For the Lord their God will intervene for them and return their captives. I have heard the reproach of Moab and the insults of the people of Ammon, with which they have reproached my people and made arrogant threats against their borders. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be like Sodom and the people of Ammon like Gomorrah, overrun with weeds and salt pits and a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall plunder them and the remnant of my people shall possess them. This they shall have for their pride because they have reproached and made arrogant threats against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome to them, for he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. People shall worship him, each one from his place, indeed all the shores of the nations. You Ethiopians also, you shall be slain by my sword, and he will stretch out his hand against the north, destroy Assyria, and make Nineveh a desolation as dry as the wilderness. The herd shall lie down in her mist. Every beast of the nation, both the pelican and the bittern, shall lodge on, her, on the capitals of her pillars. Their voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation, desolation shall be at the threshold, for he will lay bare the cedar work. This is the rejoicing city that dwelt securely, that said in her heart, I am it, and there is none beside me. Now she has become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down. Everyone who passes by her shall hiss and shake his fist. Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted, to the oppressing city. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The Lord is righteous in her midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails. But the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their fortresses are devastated. I have made their streets desolate, with none passing by. Their cities are destroyed. There is no one, no inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will receive instruction, so that her dwelling would not be cut off, despite everything for which I punished her. But they rose early and corrupted all their deeds." Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation. 
all my fierce anger, all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Now, as I said, kind of a dark passage. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> the day of the Lord is near, it's coming. Oh, you ever heard the saying, you tell this to your kids, uh, you tell them not to point, right? What is the saying you say? Don't point at people. Why? Because when you point at somebody, how many fingers are pointing back at you? Well, three fingers are pointing back at you. And I remember someone saying, well, not if you point like this. Well, you know, well, no. If you point, you've got three fingers pointing back at you. In other words, don't be quick to judge others. Don't be quick to judge others. As Jesus says, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, do not judge lest you be judged. In other words, whatever measure you use against someone in your judgment, that could be thrown back on you. Do not look at the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log protruding from your own eye. Don't be quick to judge. And I can imagine as perhaps the prophet is reading or saying this to the people of Judah. And as he's going through, because what you see here really is a judgment on the nations. And as he's going through here, he's, he's going one by one through uh, the nations that are around Judah. He's, he's looking at Philistia. He's looking at Moab and Ammon. He's looking at, at Assyria. And, and each time the Lord uh, points to a nation, he is uh, pronouncing judgment on them. And I can almost feel the people of Judah saying, yeah, you know, give it to them, Lord. Give it to them. But watch out. Right? When you point one finger at somebody, you've got three pointing back at yourself because as this passage ends, as the Lord is going from nation to nation to nation, He's going to turn His focus on back on Judah. We already saw last week uh, that uh, the Lord is going to bring the day of the Lord to Judah. And here as He's going through these nations, He goes one by one and then eventually He turns again His focus on His people. And I think, you know, you could say in their, they could say in their hearts, well, we are God's chosen people. Why would the Lord judge us? And it's almost very uh, reminiscent of what I think. Honestly, to be perfectly honest, I think when the Lord comes at the end of the age, just as he said in, in his Sermon on the Mount, there are going to be many people who are going to come to him and say, Lord, 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 did we not do Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? Lord, Lord, did we not do that in your name? And what is the Lord going to say to them? Away from me, I do not know you. Here we see the day of the Lord. Yes, it's going to come to the nations, but that includes the nation of Judah. But as we look at this message this morning, I want us to come away with this thought. The day of the Lord is coming. That's the point. It's coming upon all nations. But we're going to see here, uh, maybe you heard it as I was reading the passage, there is a, a hint at a remnant, right? You see a remnant in verse 7 of chapter 2, a remnant in verse 9 of chapter 2. You see this idea that even there, the, the Lord says, you know, you see uh, in verse 7 of chapter 3, surely you will fear me, you will receive understanding that your dwelling may not be cut off. There's hope being held out. So yes, the day of the Lord is coming upon all nations, but God does preserve a remnant, a remnant of his people. 
Now you may be looking at your outline and saying, six points, my goodness, what time are we going to get out of here? Well, hopefully it won't be that long. Uh, <laughs> I made the joke in Sunday school, I asked, what time is the Nebraska game? They said 2.30. I said, well, you might get out of here by then. And I said, I'm joking, I'm joking. But there are six points uh, because I'm going to deal with each one of these nations, right? You've got a judgment on Philistia. You've got a judgment on Moab and Ammon. You've got a judgment against Ethiopia. You've got a judgment against Assyria. And then you've got a judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. And then he ends in verse 8 of chapter 3, a judgment against all nations, So we're seeing here the judgment on all nations. First, let us look at the judgment against Philistia in chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. So after proclaiming that the day of the Lord, the Yom Adonai, is near and warning the repentant to turn, we saw that in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth who have upheld his justice. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger, even as the day of the Lord is being pronounced against uh, his people. He is holding out hope. He's saying, if you turn... If you repent, this day will be relented. You may be hidden. As we said, if you consider the history of God's people, if you read through 2 Kings or 2 Chronicles, again, remember, Zephaniah prophesied during the reign of King Josiah. And Josiah found the book of the law. When he found the book of the law, it led to a great reform among the people of Israel. Perhaps this day of the Lord was averted for a time. But we know that that time was, as I said earlier, short-lived. Judgment is coming on the nations. And he begins with Philistia. If you're like, what is Philistia? Well, think of the Philistines, right? You think of when uh, Israel was being led out of Egypt, brought to the Promised Land. Who were there? Well, you had all the ites, right? The Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, uh, the Termites, the, you know, the, the whateverites, you know, the stalactites, the slagmites, um, and the Philistines. They were, they were there in the land as well. And they were the people that they were supposed to drive out. The problem is the people of Israel did not drive them all out. And when the Lord said at the end of the book, of, uh, or at the beginning of the book of Judges, because you did not drive them all out, they are going to be a thorn in your side. They will tempt you. They will lead you away from me. So the Philistines, those are the people who are still sort of the remnant of the people who are there in the land when Israel came to them. And here we see as he says, you know, he begins with Philistia. How do I know it's Philistia? Because look at the cities. He says Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron. Uh, these are cities of of the Philistines. Gaza. These are the only one miss, missing. Is um, I believe there's one more missing. I I didn't write it down. But he, you have Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ashdod, and Ekron. These are the cities of the Philistines. And he's like, judgment is coming upon you. You're going to be forsaken. You're going to be desolate. I'm going to drive out all the people at, in the middle of the day. You will be uprooted. Woe. There's, a, there's a, a, a pronouncement of curse. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast. They were along the Mediterranean Sea. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you. There shall be no inhabitant. They're going to be forsaken. They're going to be abandoned. They're going to be desolate. They're going to be driven out. They're going to be uprooted. It's like taking a weed out of the ground. You're going to completely uproot all the people out of there. 
He pronounces a curse upon them. He, he says he's going to destroy them. Now again, we know the Philistines, they are the longtime nemesis of God's people. And I can almost imagine as the Lord is pronouncing this, this uh, word of woe upon the Philistines that the people of Judah hearing this are like, yes, give it to the Philistines. They're the longtime nemesis of God's people from the earliest days. Uh, from the book of Joshua, the book of Judges, the book of 1 Samuel, it was always the Philistines. They were always the foil of God's people. And many of Israel's prophets have foretold judgment against, uh, uh, against Philist the Philistines and their destruction. You can think of Jeremiah 47, verse 1 and following. Amos chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Zechariah chapter 9. So he pronounces woe on the, the, the Philistines, woe on the inhabitants of uh, Philistia. But you get this beautiful little uh, promise here to the remnant in verse 7. He says, The coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. In other words, God is coming. He's going to clean house. He's going to remove them. He's going to drive them out. He's going to uproot them so that the remnant can come in. The remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed their flocks there. In the houses of Ashkelon, they shall lie down at evening. For the Lord their God will intervene for them and return their captives. It was said in, in a, earlier in the books of Deuteronomy and in the Pentateuch, when the Israelites were coming into the land of Canaan, it says, you shall inherit their, their vineyards. You shall inherit their homes. You will, you will come to cities where you don't have to build anything. Why? Because I'm going to drive them out before you, and you will just inhabit their land. It's almost as if this is being repeated here in chapter 3, verse 7, the remnant. Now again, this is not all of Judah. This is a remnant. This word remnant, it means the remainder, the rest. In other words, what's left over after judgment comes. The remainder, the purified, if you will. The, those who, have, who have, are left after the day of the Lord comes, they will come back. And we know this again from uh, the history of God's people from the, from the Old Testament that after the 70 years of, of the exile, the people come back to the land. The remnant that are preserved from this judgment, they come back to the land and they, they do re-inhabit this land. But God always preserves for himself a remnant. I think of in the days of the prophet Elijah when he has his great victory on Mount Carmel where it's essentially this great you know, battle of the titans, right? It is the prophet of God, prophet of Jehovah against all the prophets of Baal. Right, you get this big battle on, on Mount Carmel and, and uh, Elijah has come and he's been pronouncing uh, the curses of the Lord that, that the Lord is going to bring judgment that Baal worship is going to be driven out and Elijah hopes to have this great revival and he has this great victory in Second, or First Kings chapter 18 uh, the prophets of Baal are slain and he thinks now the people will turn to the Lord and what happens? Jezebel chases Elijah away and Elijah flees and he finds himself in a cave and he's all depressed and the Lord speaks to him and he says, why are you sad? He's like, I am the only one who's left of all your people. And the Lord speaks to him in that still small voice and says, no, Elijah, you are not the only one. I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God always preserves a remnant. And the remnant here isn't so much a, 
a description of quantity as it is a description of quality. Right? The remnant are those who have not bowed the knee to Baal. The remnant are those who still call upon the name of the Lord. So that's the judgment against Philistia. He's going to drive them out and the remnant will come back and uh, inhabit their land. And next he turns his attention to uh, Moab and Ammon. Uh, if you're thinking geographically, if you can kind of picture, you may, your Bible may have bat maps in the back. If you picture where Israel is, well, Gaza and the Philistines, that will be along that, that's where they're all doing all the fighting now. It's along that southeast part of Israel. Well, Moab and Ammon would be to their west. It would be over the Jordan uh, River, so in that area there. So he turns and goes to Moab and Ammon. And here he says in verses 8 through 11, I have heard the reproach of Moab and the insults of the people of Ammon, which they have reproached my people and made arrogant threats against their borders. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be like Sodom and the people of Ammon like Gomorrah, overrun with weeds and salt pits and a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall plunder them. Again, this promise to the remnant. My remnant shall possess them. So here the Lord is talking of Moab and Ammon, and he's like, your destruction is going to be like that of Sodom and Gomorrah. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, they were completely wiped out by the anger of the Lord as fire rains down on them. And here the Lord says he has heard the reproach of Moab, the insults of Ammon. Now, Moab and Ammon, uh, typically in the history of Israel, they, have, they never really provided a sort of an existential threat to the people of Israel, but they were sort of uh, like, it's like having, you know, you step on a burr, you know, or you step on some kind of thing that, you know, a thorn or something, something painful, something annoying. That's kind of what they were. Uh, you think of, uh, again, the book of Numbers as the people are coming out of Egypt and they're approaching the promised land and they're going through the land of Moab. And the king of Moab uh, is scared, right? Because you've got an army, two million strong, coming through your land. So uh, the king of Moab goes out and he hires a prophet. You may have heard this story, the prophet Balaam, right? And he says, Balaam, I want you to curse the people of God. And, of course, Balaam can't do nothing but pronounce blessing upon the people. So then what, they, what do they do? They entice the people of Israel with Moabite prostitutes. That's what happens. And instead of cursing the people, he gets them to commit adultery and idolatry, worshiping their gods. So the people of Moab have always been sort of a thorn in their side. They led the people into idolatry. And notice he says, you will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. Which is interesting because... If you know anything about the history of the Moabites and the Ammonites, they are the descendants of Lot, right? Where was Lot? Lot came and spent a lot of time in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot was delivered out of Sodom and Gomorrah when that judgment fell upon him. And then the daughters of Lot committed incest with their father, and there you have the Moabites and the Ammonites. So you have this connection between the origin of the people and their fate being like that of Sodom and in Gomorrah. Kind of interesting. And again, you have this promise that the, the residue of my people, the remnant shall come and they will plunder you and they will possess your land. But I also like what we see here in verse 11. 
And verse 11 says, the Lord will be awesome to them. That's not like awesome, like you, you, know, you hear all the you know, people say today. No, awesome means fearful, dreadful. He will be awesome to them, fearful, and he will reduce them to nothing. He will reduce what? Their gods. He will reduce the gods of Moab and the gods of Ammon to nothing. Uh, the word literally there means to make lean, to famish them. He's going to reduce them to nothing. And then he, there's a hope here, right? He will reduce them to nothing. And then the people shall worship him, the Lord, each one from his place, indeed, all the shores of the nation. Again, you have a little bit of a hope here, perhaps looking forward to what we will see, Lord willing, next week in verses 9 through 20 of chapter 3 as the people come to worship the Lord. But here again, the prophet brings judgment to Moab and Ammon. They will be reduced to nothing. They will have a fate like that of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then you've got a very brief word in verse 12 against the Ethiopians who shall be slain by my sword. So here you have judgment against the Ethiopians. Um, some translations may say Cush or the Cushites. Uh, the word in uh, the original Hebrew is the Cushim, so the Cushites. Uh, if you, again, if you can think of a map of the Middle East and kind of northeast Africa, you've got Egypt, and then below them would be Ethiopia. So you're talking about East Africa here. These would be the people who are south of Egypt in eastern Africa. Now, scholars think this is a prophecy against Egypt because under this time when Zephaniah is prophesying, uh, the Egyptian uh, land was under a Cushite dynasty at this time. So in other words, this, this could be a prophecy more against the Egyptians. And, and we all know the role that the Egyptians have played in the life of the people of God, right? They were the ones who enslaved them. They are the ones who are always seen as turning back from the Lord, right? What did the people do when they were in the wilderness? They wanted to go back to Egypt, back to where they thought they were well-fed, back to where they thought they were well-sheltered, right? You know, often the complaint of God's people to Moses was, why did you take us out of Egypt? We had homes and we had food and yeah, the work was hard, but at least we're not in this wilderness, you know? Were there no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here? So here the Lord is saying, my sword shall be against you. Very brief judgment here. My sword of judgment. When the Lord wields his sword, it is oftentimes in judgment. The sword of judgment is coming upon them. So you've got Philistines, you've got Moab and Ammon, you've got Egypt and Ethiopia. Now he turns his attention to the north and the last of the nations to face the day of the Lord judgment is the nation of Assyria in verses 13 through 15. And the Lord will stretch out his hand. That is a sign of the Lord working, the Lord working his power when, he, uh, when you see this personification because we know the Lord is spirit. He doesn't have a hand. But when the Lord's hand is coming out, that means the Lord's about to do something. He's going to stretch out his hand against the north. That's where Assyria was. And destroy Assyria and make Nineveh a desolation. Now this is why uh, scholars think that uh, this would have been, this prophecy would have been given before the destruction of the Assyrian Empire that would have happened in the year 612 BC. Uh, the reason being because here you have a prophecy against their destruction. So 
you would think it was given before that, destruct, that destruction. Of course, the nation that came and destroyed the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire. So here, uh, the Lord says, I will stretch my hand against you. Uh, you will be as dry as the wilderness. The herd shall lie down in her midst, every beast of the nation, both. Now you have some, you're, depending on your translation, you may have some different animals here. These are terms in Hebrew that the scholars and the translators don't know, so they just kind of put names of animals in there. Like, like you know, here you have the pelican and the bittern. I think ESV says like the hedgehog and the, and the something or other. Uh, animals are going to live in your land. You're going to be a wet wilderness. Uh, when you think of animals living in a land that was normally inhabited, you could think of that was a desolation. Something happened. The people are gone. Now the animals are coming back. They shall lodge on our capitals and our pillars. The voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be at the threshold, for he will lay bare the cedar work. That's the word of judgment, and the reason is because they were, they were haughty in their heart, right? This, this rejoicing city that dwelt securely, that said in her heart, I am it, and there is none beside me. Now has she become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down. Everyone who passes by her shall hiss and shake his fist. Whenever I see that imagery, I always think of the old Charlton Heston movie, The Omega Man. Maybe you've seen that. That might be a shot that in this, I know a lot of people don't see my movies, but this is from the 70s, so maybe this is old enough. The Omega Man is a movie in which um, it's like an end of the world thing, and, and Charlton Heston is the last man alive, and he's you know, living in, in the streets of Los Angeles, and it's overrun, right? Because all the people have died, or they've turned into these vampire things, and, and it's overrun. There's wilderness growing, and animals all over the place. That's kind of like what I picture when I see things here. Uh, she has become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down. It's, it's this kind of picture of destruction, so that the hum, all human, human civilization has been removed, and now the animals can come back in. This is against Assyria, that great nation, this nation to the north. And it's interesting because as all worldly kings do, right? The king of Assyria boasted of their great might, right? You've got the great kings, Tiglath-Pileser III. You've got the great king, Sennacherib. You know, and of course, they thought no one could withstand them. Right, Sennacherib is particularly important in uh, the scriptures because in three places you have the invasion of Sennacherib up to the doors of Jerusalem, both in Second Kings, in Second Chronicles, and in the book of Isaiah. You have uh, the siege of Jerusalem by Sennacherib, and he comes and he's boasting of his great might. It's like your God is not going to be able to save you. We have taken over all the other gods of all the other nations, and they weren't able to save them. This is the boast of mighty kings and empires. They boast. And the Lord will bring her down so that she becomes a desolation. All their boasts will be for nothing. All of these nations, Philistia, Egypt, Moab, Ammon, Assyria, all of them have from one time or another attacked, mocked, persecuted, enslave the people of God. And the people hearing this again from the mouth of Zephaniah, I'm sure they would shed no tears for these nations. They would not be sad to see the Lord, the day of the Lord come upon the Philistines, upon the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Cushites, and the Assyrians. 
And I can almost feel, you know, when you hear and think about this day of the Lord idea. You think about people praying, you know, would that the Lord would bring judgment upon the wicked of our nation. Right? Would that the Lord will bring judgment upon the fornicators, upon the homosexuals, upon the transgenders, upon those who spit in the face of God. But remember, when one finger's pointing at you, how many fingers are pointing at someone else? How many fingers are pointing back at you? You have three fingers pointing back at us. And that's what we see here. You see here now the Lord turns his attention from the nations and turns now on his people. This is, I mentioned the prophet Amos last week. If you would turn to the left again, I'm not going to read this section, but I just want to point this out to you. If you look at Amos chapter 1, that's to the left a little bit. And there, the prophet Amos, again, this is about 100 years before Zephaniah comes on the scene. And Amos is also prophesying to the nation of Judah. And he, his prophecy begins. And you see here, you may even have headings that says, Judgment on the Nations. And here you see in chapter 1, verse 2, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. So here, because of the wickedness of the world, the Lord is now rousing himself in his anger and he's roaring like a lion getting ready to come out. And this lion begins to circle around and he begins with the nations. And you see here this repeated frame starting in verse 3 for three transgressions of Damascus and for four. And then you look Uh, again in verse 6 for three transgressions of Gaza and for four for three transgressions of Edom verse 11 and for four verse 13 for three transgressions of the people of Ammon and for four chapter 2 verse 1 for three transgressions of Moab and for four the line of the Lord judgment is coming around and he's going to each of these nations and pronouncing judgment for their deeds And again, I could think the people of Amos' day saying, yes. And then you look at chapter 2, verse 4. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah. And for four, I will not turn away my punishment. The Lord here, similarly, just as he is pronouncing judgment on the Philistines, judgment on the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Cushites and the Assyrians, he now turns his attention on his people. Woe to her who is a rebellious and polluted, the oppressing city. He's speaking of Jerusalem, the oppressing city. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. All the people who are like, yes, Lord, get the Philistines, get the Ammonites. And the Lord turns his attention and says, you have not received correction. You have not trusted in me. You have not drawn near to me. Look at verse 3. Her princes are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. Her prophets are insolent. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. Here, listen to what the Lord is saying here through the prophet. It's like, look, prince, prophet, priest, 
all three of the offices that I have established to guide and guard my people, to, to instruct them, to lead them in righteousness, they have all turned aside. The king is a roaring lion. The judges are wolves. The prophets are insolent. Think of the prophets, the prophecies against a lot of the prophets, like from Jeremiah, who prophesies against the prophets of, of Jerusalem. You say, peace, peace, where there is no peace, because all the prophets were saying what the kings wanted to hear. Peace. Oh, nothing's going to happen to us, O king. The Lord has spoken to us. And Jeremiah's like, no. You say, peace, peace, where there is no peace. The prophets are insolent. The priests, these are the ones who are to guard the sanctuary. What are they doing? They are polluting the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. These are the ones who are to instruct in the law, and they have done violence. It's like, look, the Lord, verse 5, the Lord is in our midst. The Lord is righteous. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings justice to light. He never fails, but the unjust knows no shame. He's talking about his people here now. He's talking about the people of Judah and Jerusalem. While they have done wickedly, the Lord is righteous. And he's going to do righteous. His justice never fails. He never fails. All of the covenant curses of Deuteronomy 28 are coming home to roost. The Lord's covenant prosecutor is making his case against the people. I have cut off nations. Their fortresses are devastated. I have made their streets desolate with none passing by. Their cities are destroyed. There is no one, no inhabitant. Perhaps a little glimmer of hope here in verse 7. Surely you will fear me. You will receive instruction, so your dwelling would not be cut off. Look, it's not too late. Turn yet, despite everything for which I punished her. They rose early and corrupted all their deeds. In other words, the Lord has sent prophet after prophet, prophet after prophet. And here we have Zephaniah, the last of the prophets before the exile. And here he's like, perhaps you will change your mind. Perhaps you will amend your ways. But no, what do they do? Well, you know, like the, the guy from the Dunkin' Donuts commercial gets up early, got to make the donuts, right? They get up early, got to do the wickedness, got to do the corrupting works. You know, that's kind of what we see here. And then he brings it all to a close in verse 8, where it's just like a summary. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord. This is not a good wait. Okay? This is not a good statement. Not wait for me and I'll be there. No, it's wait for me. I'm coming in judgment until the day I rise up for what? Plunder. My determination is to gather the nations. So the Lord, in a sense, is gathering all the nations. He's going to assemble the kingdoms. Why? To pour on them my indignation and my fierce anger. You think of uh, the, the imagery in the book of Revelation with the, the bowls of God's wrath and they are being poured out. Here he's going to pour on them his indignation. He's going to pour on them all his fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. Worldwide judgment. Worldwide judgment. It's what the Lord has it's promising here. Uh, in fact, that word anger, indignation, anger, 
uh, it's it's the word for nostril, which is kind of interesting because when you think of ang- you know, you know when you angry your nostrils flare. You know it's kind of you know you almost picture a bull with his nostrils flaring, getting ready to charge, and he's going to destroy. That's what the Lord is doing here with his fierce anger. So many prophecies and 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 things speak about this, but you you know it's almost reminiscent of the the Lord's words in Matthew. 25 verse 32 all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate one from the other as a sheep divide as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and we know that what's going to happen to the goats he's going to put them into the fire of eternal punishment these will go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous will go into eternal life but the wicked will go to everlasting punishment we see this imagery also in Revelation, right? Revelation 19, when the Lord returns on his white steed, the nations are gathered together, their forces are arrayed, he's going to come and he's going to speak a word, and they will be gone. Judgment on the nations. The day of the Lord is an inescapable reality. These are just tastes of what the Lord will do on the end of the, uh, at the end of the time, at the end of the age. All of these day of the Lord uh, prophecies, yes, they were fulfilled when, when uh, the Lord brought his judgment on his people, but they are just a picture of what's going to happen when Christ returns at the end of the age. This is an inescapable reality. It came upon the nations around Judah. It came upon Judah herself. You know, you think of the Assyrians. They were conquered by the Babylonians. The Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. And all of this was prophesied by the Lord. You know, that you will be my sort of judgment and then I will bring judgment upon you for your wickedness. The instrument of God's judgment are the nations, but his sword... The Lord is the one who is doing these things. Judgment will come, and it will come in the form of other nations, and those are the instruments that the Lord uses. But you have to understand, it is the Lord who is behind all of this. And again, I want to bring it back to us here, because sometimes as the church, we can be at ease at Zion, right? We could think that the day of the Lord will not come. And there are many uh, in churches today who are thinking the Lord's day will not come. The day of the Lord will not come, right? 2 Peter 3, verse 4. Where is the coming that was promised? But what did Jesus say? He said, as in the days of Noah, as in the days of Sodom, right? You could look at this in the Gospel of Matthew, verses chapter 11 and chapter 24, where he says, as in the days of Sodom, as in the days of, of Noah. Those, again, were... Day of the Lord judgments, if you will, on a, at least, you know, Noah's was a global scale, but Sodom and Gomorrah, that was a more localized scale. But the Lord's anger comes when people are wicked, and this day of the Lord judgment does come. And Jesus is saying, just like in those days, just like they were marrying and giving in marriage and, and thinking everything was fine, and that the day, the day of the Lord would not come, and peace, peace, where there is no peace, the day of the Lord judgment came upon them. And we could be at ease in Zion. And we're gonna, there are going to be people, as I said, that are going to come before the Lord's throne and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Lord, Lord, did we not do that? And the Lord's going to turn to them and say, I do not know you. I do not know you. The dam of God's patience will burst. Romans 2, verses 4 and 5. We are storing up wrath 
if you think that the Lord's wrath is not going to come upon you because you're a believer or because you're Jewish or because you're a nice guy or whatever the case may be, you are storing up wrath because the patience of God is meant to lead you to repentance. Yet within this gloom, there is a sliver of hope because the Lord talks about a remnant. He talks about a remnant. There is a hope for the Lord's people. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 28, And so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. That comes on the heels of the verse right before it, where it says, As it is appointed for men to die once, and after this face the judgment. Judgment day is coming. This is in the book of Hebrews where he's talking about judgment. Judgment is coming, and uh, it's appointed for everyone to die, and then after that face judgment. But it's like Christ was offered. Christ was offered to bear your sins. You could either go before the Lord on the day of the Lord with your own works and say, Lord, Lord, look what I've done. Or you can go before the Lord and say, I trust in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. I'm going to be clothed, not in my works, but in his works. Christ was offered once to bear my sins, to bear your sins, to bear the sins of many. Christ took upon himself the day of the Lord for us. And to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time for salvation. The Lord will save his own. He knows how to preserve a remnant, but there's still time, right? Just as you see in the prophet Zephaniah, there's hints like if you turn, if you repent, right? Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I almost think of Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8. If you hear the voice of the Lord, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ, unlike the prophets and the priests and the kings of Judah during the time of Zephaniah, who were wicked and evil and corrupt, who, who did all they could to destroy and ravage God's people, we know that Jesus Christ comes as the perfect prophet, priest, and king. He comes to save his people from their sins. I love what Paul says to Titus in chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. When the kindness of the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us. Just think of the contrast there. As God pours his wrath out on the wicked, here we see Christ pouring out his spirit of regeneration on us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This prophet, priest, and king who saves us is also able to preserve us. He saves us not just from our sins in the, this day and age. He saves us to the uttermost, as the, as the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, He, Christ, is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession.
for them. He saves those who come to God through Christ. So the hope for the remnant, the hope for this world is to turn to Christ. It is to look to Christ. Again, he has taken the day of the Lord upon himself on the cross, and now he calls all peoples everywhere to repent, to turn to him while it is still today. If you hear his voice, turn to Christ. Look to Christ. Trust in Christ. He is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our king. He is our rock. He is our refuge. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, indeed this is a dark passage, but we know that where there is darkness, there is light. After the darkness, there is light. So Lord, we pray that the light of your gospel will go forth, that people will turn and be saved so that they will not face the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is real, and what we see in the days of the prophet Zephaniah is a prophecy of the day of the Lord that would come upon the people of Israel and Judah for their wickedness and their sin. Yet even through all of that, you saved a remnant. And even through all that, Lord, you call all those who hear your voice to turn to you and be saved. And Lord, we look forward to the next passage, Lord willing, where we will see the salvation that comes. The day of the Lord, yes, is a day of darkness and judgment, but it is also a day of salvation for those who find themselves in Christ. So I pray, Lord, that you will strengthen us, that you will help us to turn to Christ alone for our salvation. May we not be found on that day as saying, Lord, Lord, look at what we've done. But rather, may we be found on that day, Lord, Lord, I throw myself at your feet and receive your righteousness, for I have nothing to offer. I pray this all in Jesus' name.